Thank you for the opportunity to be here. This is a great facility. And I also thank the other speakers because when I know I'm on a panel, I don't have to explain everything about this project. I'm just going to do my little share of the panel, and then you can learn from the others. And on the subject of learning, I will say my views on this project have not been constant. I've been involved with it, testified many, many times over the last 10 years, but my, my own thinking has evolved. Uh, I've, I've learned from uh, one of the other speakers here, Joe Courtright. I've learned from Sharon Nassett. I've learned from activists here in Vancouver. And I'll probably learn some more things today. And I would just encourage you to just approach it that way. This, this is a, a changing, very complex project. And uh, just use this as a great way today to stimulate your own thinking. <clears throat> and I would say originally... Um, Ten years ago, when I started going to meetings, I, I did take as a given that the interstate bridge was decrepit and should be replaced and that there was a problem with the, the bridge lift and a, and a new uh, uh, bridge would be a good thing, etc. And um, you know, over time, I've come to see that the project, at least as originally, uh, currently conceived, is fatally flawed and we should do something uh, completely different. I have uh, just some, about 10 points I want to make, and I have them summarized on a handout that I, that I can uh, make available uh, when I'm done here for all of you. <clears throat> the common perception, I think, is that this is a, uh, it's a bridge project. But according to the draft finance plan, as I read it, actually the CRC is a light rail project, first and foremost. It's a light rail project. The interchange improvements located miles north and south of the river have been thrown in to increase the total cost and therefore mask how much money is being asked of the Federal Transit Administration for light rail. See, they want to ask for $850 million. They're not, they're not making this ask to the Federal Highway Administration if it was a bridge highway project. No, the actual official ask is to FTA transit bureaucracy. I overlooked that the first time I read the finance plan. I didn't pick up on that until the second time I went through it. The big ask is to FTA. So they're asking the $850 million would be 91% of the total cost of light rail. Well, no one, no local sponsor gets 91% federal share. Those days, if they ever existed, are long over. TriMet, the Portland uh, transit monopoly, tried to get 60% federal share <clears throat> for their 7.3-mile rail boondoggle to Milwaukee, southeast uh, Portland, that they hoped to break ground on um, in about 26 days. They counted on 60% on of a $1.5 billion rail project, and then they seemed kind of chagrined to discover 50% was the maximum they were going to get. So in a very clever, sort of Tom Sawyer-like way, they've contrived this project so that they don't put any money in. Everybody else puts money in while they're watching. It's, it's really, I have to give them credit, it's very clever. So they're asking for 850, 850 million, or 91% of the total. Well, no one does 91% of the total, but they've solved that problem. See, with the help of Senator Murray here in the state. Now, under this form of accounting, <clears throat> there is no 
traditional uh, cost-benefit analysis in which total costs, hopefully, are lower than total social benefits. Now, when you, with the help of Senator, Senator Murray passing a law in 1990, in uh, 2009, allowing all these other disparate projects, the interchanges, the bridge, to be lumped together as one project, and, and specifically to allow other local sources of money, such as tolling, to be considered local match money for the transit project, which otherwise would never happen, the total price goes up to about $3.5 billion. And therefore, the $850 million ask is only 24%, a relatively modest ask. So under this method of calculation, <clears throat> you don't worry about cost-benefit analysis. The cost is the benefit. The higher the total cost, the more you can slide the transit ask in and make it look small in comparison. So that most people don't know that. This is an attempted 91% share, and TriMet has said, unlike all of their other projects, they are not going to put any of their own money in to construct it, and they're hoping that people in Vancouver will pay to operate it, so while everyone else is painting the fence, they're sitting around eating an apple. Very clever. Currently, so that's the first thing you have to know is this is a light rail project with a bunch of other stuff thrown in for political cover. Currently, uh, there are three through lanes in each direction. If we build the CRC project, there will be three through lanes in each direction. That's not an accident. Refusing to provide motorists capacity that they would like and which they're generally willing to pay for, um, that's by design at least south of the river. And if you can punish motorists by withholding the capacity they want, charging them and siphoning the money off for a, a slow train they don't want, well, that's a twofer. Third point, even if elected officials were willing to add more capacity, the mega bridge concept of shoving all future traffic down the I-5 corridor uh, is fatally flawed because there's no place for that traffic to go when you get to the Fremont Bridge. Keep in mind, originally, 10 years ago, <clears throat> the, when it was called the I-5 Trade Partnership, you know, that's many bureaucratic titles ago, many task forces ago, the, their mission, as defined by Governor Kitzhaber and whoever was the governor of Washington at the time, was to solve a problem from the Rose Quarter all the way up to where I-205 and I-5 meet. And that mission, um, instead of mission creep, it was mission, mission uh, reduction all the way. Uh, and so no matter what you would do up on the river here, the notion that you're going to keep shoving all the traffic down um, through the I-5 corridor is flawed because the local planner dogma in Portland of building up, not out, is also fatally flawed. We need to actually disperse traffic, provide more options. As we've done with the Willamette, you know, we don't have just two bridge crossings over the Willamette in Portland. We have, I think, nine. So two mega bridges... Uh, over the Columbia is just a bad idea. It'll never work. <clears throat> so here's my suggestion for an al for al alternative way of thinking about this. First, in crafting any kind of cost-effective alternative, um, you first have to strip out the rail element. There is no version of light or heavy rail that makes any sense 
anywhere, anytime. It's irrelevant. It's, it's too expensive. It's about 100 years out of date. And so as long as rail is part of it, it's never going to be a cost-effective or useful alternative. <clears throat> um, the, the existing I-5 bridge can be updated for seismic repairs at a modest cost, and this should be done. Don't waste a good bridge. The so-called S-curve problem, the so-called S-curve problem with barges, can mostly be solved by modifying the downstream rail bridge, uh, which will eliminate most delays caused by the lifts. And in my view, that should also be done. We should plan for another highway bridge, either four lanes or six lanes. I, I don't <clears throat> have a strong feeling about that. West of the I-5 bridge, this is part of the thing that Sharon Nassett and her friends have been working on, the third bridge now option, although personally I'm, I'm up for third and fourth and maybe fifth uh, if people are willing to pay for it. And it should be connected to the Oregon side to Highway 30 and with an improved Cornelius Pass Road, which is already being considered by, uh, by a number of folks, and uh, Senator Starr on the Oregon side, a Hillsborough senator, is interested in upgrading Cornelius Pass Road so it could handle trucks and keep traffic flowing at about 45 miles per hour. <clears throat> if you do that and you have a third bridge, then you also have an option for Washington-bound traffic originating out of the Hillsborough-Beaverton area, dropping down over the mountains to Highway 30, over another bridge, then you don't have that segment of traffic funneling down through the terminally dysfunctional Highway 26, Sylvan Hills, into the tunnels, which is a, that's a complete um, traffic stopper. It's a complete choke point. Yes, there's three lanes. One's going north, one's going to city center, one's going south, and there's a theoretical maximum capacity, and that is an actual choke point, which the planners love. That, that's by design, no more. Then you get it right on I-405, you have that problem going north, Fremont Bridge, that's a problem. I-5 north, that's a problem. You, you, fact, you take off a significant chunk of that traffic and you give them a third route over, um, then you solve about four problems at once. And if you don't address that, there, there's no one in Portland thinking about more tunnel capacity into downtown. No one's going to expand 405. They're not going to expand the Fremont Bridge. It's not happening. So I think that's a very important part of the strategy. Aside from that, I think while we're at it, we should <clears throat> be looking seriously and probably building a, a bridge crossing at I-84 and 181st Street in Gresham, which would come over to 192nd, the street that we're on. This could be a modest little arterial bridge. could be four lanes and a sidewalk. And, uh, <clears throat> and then you have all that traffic that's coming, on the, at least on the Oregon side, um, every day if you... Around 4, 4.30, you can find miles of traffic backed up from Troutdale all the way in trying to get across the Glen Jackson Bridge, and then they're going to go east again when they get on the Washington side. All you're doing is burning up a bunch of fuel and inconveniencing people because they have to go way out of their way to cross. You have, so if you have four bridges instead of two, you have, you have more direct ways to get across, and you have two modern bridges that help you in the event of the earthquake that it's not if we're going to get one, it's when we're going to get one, and you have... Um, redundancy built into the system. <clears throat> and I'll just close uh, with a sensitive subject to many people in this room, <clears throat> that is road user fees, uh, also known as tolls. There's nothing inherently wrong with tolling bridges, tunnels, 
turnpikes. In fact, everywhere else in the economy, if you leave here today and you go somewhere and you pay a point of purchase at a hamburger store or go to Fred Meyer or whatever, you're paying as you go. That's the way the economy works. It's a great thing to do. And prior to the 20th century, lots of ferries and bridges and turnpikes were all paid for with direct user fees. But that only makes sense. It's only beneficial to consumers when they have choices and when the money they pay goes to pay for the thing they're buying and to improve it and operate it and eventually give you more of it if consumer demand rises, which in the context of a bridge would be you pay for the construction of the bridge, you pay for the operation of it, and eventually money set aside for the expansion of that bridge or addition of a parallel bridge somewhere, and that, that uh, the rates are set variably, as is true with electricity pricing and matinee movie pricing and off-season pricing at resorts. You use pricing to ensure, in the case of highways, free flow conditions, which is what the motorist actually wants, is to just go at a steady speed from point A to points B, C, and D. Now, if that's done... You, what you're buying is something that you want and you get in return, everyone's happy. But because of Senator Murray and others, they've totally contaminated this process with their idea of tolling, which is your job is to be a cash cow as a motorist to pay for something. They're not going to give you the more capacity you want, and then your toll revenue is going to be used in part as a local match for a slow train that you don't want. Okay, well, as long as they're going to pollute the process then that should be opposed. They're totally wrecking the idea of a beneficial user fee. But just, but just keep an open mind that in other contexts, if done properly, as it's done elsewhere in the economy, market-based pricing is something we should embrace. It can and has been used beneficially in the highway and bridge and, and tunnel sector. And uh, eventually, that will be the future of road finance, actually, is electronic tolling and variable pricing, at least for high-speed highways. Uh, it's not being proposed properly here, but it could be with better leadership. Uh, and so I'll just leave you with if we can get rid of the rail, if we can uh, move to a, something that consumers actually want, then we can have a conversation. But right now, if you've been an activist, you know there is no conversation. You can propose something, but politicians are trying to cram something else down our throats. And I appreciate that many of you in this room have helped slow that down. Thank you.